0: I was going to say that. curious if I to say that. I was going
1: Good morning. Good morning. Right. Let's go over a couple of announcements. Uh, one through three, we're all quite familiar with. Work on the portico will continue again. Our contractor's wife had a child last week. And We deacons have been kind of mulling over the fact that we hope he isn't taking as much time on paternity leave as as, uh, Mr. Buttigieg (laughs) is taking. So, uh, we don't don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, Our evening study will continue tonight at 6 p.m. Bring uh, drinks and a dish to pass. We got uh, all the sugar water we need down there? I don't know. I didn't check. I thought we were getting a little sparse. Yeah, yeah, are we good oh, yeah, for that? No, but I think we're all right
2: for this. Okay. You are so inclined,
1: I'm bringing hot dogs. We're Okay. We've got everybody covered. Apple cake. Apple cake. Sounds like a good time. Might even learn something tonight, too. Okay. Scripture for meditation of. Oh. Have I missed anything? Is there any uh, anything new and big happening that uh... Diane's back. Yeah. Welcome back, oh, Diane. We've missed you. Good to be back. Excellent. Okay, our scripture reading for meditation today, taken from the Book of Galatians, chapter five, verses sixteen through twenty-six, and that's on page. 18:15 in your Pew Bible. <coughs> Before we begin, uh, Jared has uh, one item of business he'd like to uh, relate to the congregation.
3: So this morning, uh, the one computer back in the office that runs our streams is dying to slow death and uh, struggling this morning. So we're talking to Brandon about uh, getting a last A second how much do you think a laptop around wow. nowadays with the shortage would be at least over a thousand thousand Is that be true at about a thousand dollars yeah it just needs to have decent enough specs to run for a little while so have do with this one for several years but it's and yeah, rachel's telling us that from home it's failing so it's, it's odd so can i make a motion then or is it yeah, make a motion that we Set aside some funds to purchase a laptop to replace the one that's
0: dying and maybe get it in place even by uh, next week if possible see if that
1: happens. jared has made the motion is there a second george, george seconds uh, discussion on it questions
2: is that the hard drive we've been hearing in there
0: yes the man has died and it's, <laughs> it's dying. I have to say the same question <laughs>
1: Okay, uh, are there any other questions? Any other comments? All members voting in favor, raise your hand. Those opposed, same sign. The ayes have it. Thank you. Let's begin our our, uh, service by uh, opening prayer. Dale, would you lead us in opening prayer, please? Please stand with us.
3: Standing, could I just say something about the computer? You know, if you want to donate towards that, just write a check out, put the computer at the bottom of your check, throw it in the offering box, and they will go towards that.
0: Will you take your red hymnal this morning? Enter your number 605 in the red. Five zero.
1: Genesis chapter twenty-one, verses twenty-two through thirty-four, and that's page thirty in our view Bible.
2: If we could stand, please. Genesis twenty-one, starting at verse twenty-two. At that time, Abimelech and Fukhoth, oh my gosh, pardon me, the commander of his forces said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me, here before God, that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me in the country where you now reside as a foreigner, the same kindness I have shown you. Abraham said, I swear. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about the well of water that Abimelech's servants have seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I heard about it only today. So Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and gave them to abimelech and the two men made a treaty abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from his flock and abimelech asked abraham what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves he replied accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that i dug this well So that place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Thichol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. (laughs) Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God, Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Pray that the Lord would bless his
3: word. Will
0: you take your brown hymnal this time and turn the number 500? 500 in the brown.
3: Texas Genesis. In the last message, we analyzed the promised son born to Sarah and Abraham in their old age, and we compared Isaac to Ishmael, the son born to Abraham and Hagar, the lesser wife, when Abraham was yet procreatively viral. Paul tells us that Ishmael was a child of the flesh, that is, born in the natural way of conception. But Isaac was a child of promise, that is, a gift of God's supernatural power to a couple that had long lost the ability to have children. Well, God kept his promise to Abraham and Sarah. Isaac was born right on time, on God's schedule, because God does not lie, nor does he forget his promises. Sarah was full of joy at the birth of Isaac, but oh, there was also a cloud on the horizon. That being that teenager Ishmael was seen persecuting Isaac, the toddler, and Sarah knew then that Hagar and Ishmael could not remain part of Abraham's household without jeopardizing Isaac's rightful place as heir. So Abraham reluctantly sent Hagar and Ishmael away with provisions, comforted by God's promise to make Ishmael into a great nation as well. And we drew out two important truths from this study. Number one, that faith in God, if genuine, does not diminish... Because God's timetable seems to us to take a long, long time. In fact, 25 years passed before Isaac's birth took place. But the scripture says Abraham did not waver in his faith. Boy, that's a long time to believe that God's going to keep his promises. We are skeptics by nature. And I can assure you that there were the mockers in Abraham's day and probably accused him of being an old fool. Yeah, you're you're going to have a son in your old age. We're going to add 25 years to his age, right? While he's waiting, 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 waiting. Sarah's not a spring chicken herself. Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born. Sarah was 90. You say, well, why did God take so long? My theory is that he was waiting for Abraham's procreative abilities to die. So that the child born to Abraham and Sarah could not be attributed to Abraham's own virility. Secondly, we learn that being attached by name or experience to a Christian family or a church is no proof that a person is one of God's children. Young people, listen to that. I'll say it again. Being attached by name or experience. To a Christian family or a church is no sure proof that a person is one of God's children. Why do I say that? Well, look at Ishmael. He had the same father as Isaac had. He lived his life in the same household. He had the same advantages. He had the same resources. Same, same, same. Ah, But the scripture says he lived his life as a wild donkey. That is kicking, fighting, rejecting his half-brothers, the Israelites, and their God. Still goes on today. Eshmael the father of all the Arab nations. What do they do? They resist Israel, God's people. Today we want to look at Abraham's peace treaty with Abimelech. And as we do, let's ask the Lord for help. Father, send your spirit upon us to be our teacher. We can look at the scriptures and read the English. And we are thankful for English translations. We all don't know Greek or the other languages that were used to construct the scriptures. So we're thankful for our English translation, but even knowing the English words, we can't understand the spiritual significance apart from your enlightenment. So grant us that enlightenment. Shine light in our heart upon the truths of your word. And I know that Satan, our enemy of our soul, is going to do everything he can to snuff out the light of the word. He's going to throw dark clouds and darkness. That's what he is. He's a liar. Jesus said... He is a liar by nature. He's the father of lies. So don't allow him, Lord, we pray. Don't allow him to be cloud or to detract, detract rather, from the truth of the scripture. May the Holy Spirit be the powerful God that he is. And defeat Satan at every turn. In Christ's name, amen. We want to look at Abraham's peace treaty with Abimelech. Our text is Genesis 21. And I'm referring to verse 22. In acknowledgement by Abimelech, who said, God is with you, the you is Abraham. God is with you, Abraham, in everything you do. This is a pagan king saying to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now I want to know, how does Abimelech know that? He's a pagan king, but he has eyes, he has ears. And what he saw in Abraham was the blessing of God upon him. And these blessings would fall mostly into the realm of the material. That is, Abimelech is not a believer, but he's not blind as to how Abraham's God has interceded to care for Abraham and his wife. This is the same Abimelech who, in chapter 20, was so mesmerized by the beauty of Sarah that he conscripted her to be a part of his harem, believing what he'd been told, namely, that Sarah was Abraham's sister. Abraham said that. Sarah said that. Why wouldn't he believe that? So he's thinking, Sarah is fair game, right? She's available for marriage. Well, you know what happened. God interceded interceded on Sarah's behalf by keeping Abimelech from touching her and by closing the wombs of the women in Abimelech's household. He had multiple wives. But they were all restored graciously by God in answer to Abraham's prayer. So Abimelech had a history here with Abraham that convinced him, God is with you in everything you do. Yeah, I think he was right in concluding that. He knew, he witnessed this firsthand. There was also the obvious truth that Abraham possessed a great deal of material wealth. In Egypt, Pharaoh, Pharaoh now, different kingdom, different king. In Egypt, Pharaoh treated Abram well for Sarah's sake. Boy, this Sarah must have been a beauty. Everywhere she goes, the men are drooling. He says he treated Abraham well for Sarah's sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys and, and maid servants and maidservants and camels and Genesis twelve verse sixteen. It was with three hundred and eighteen of his own trained servants that Abraham rescued his nephew Lot from captivity when Sodom was overthrown by the Federation of Kings, chapter 14. So when we come back from Egypt, the Bible says in 13 and verse 2, Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. And it was those vast herds of livestock that necessitated Abraham and his nephew Lot parting company because The grassland was inadequate to support both of their herds and their flocks. One of them has got to split up. And even with the destruction of Sodom and the sparing of Lot, it had to be acknowledged, chapter 19, verse 29, God remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot lived. So it's Abraham that God is watching over. Now Abraham is in the Negev. That's the southern part of Palestine. He's obviously still seeking adequate grazing land for his livestock. Chapter 20 verse 1. Here's where the incident with Abimelech and Sarah took place. Isaac is born. Ishmael and Hagar are sent out on their own. Lot, while still alive, has lost his wife and all his wealth in the horrendous fire which destroyed Sodom. All its livestock, he's back to square one somewhere. Yeah, somewhere, but no longer with Abraham. So there's a lot of history here. But in our text, Abimelech and his general Fico approached Abraham acknowledging, God is with you in everything you do. They could see the obvious. And the obvious was that Abraham was a very wealthy and powerful man in his own right. Now notice, he's not a king. He is not a ruler. But Abraham is hobnobbing with kings and with rulers. And they seek him out. Abraham's wealth has caught their attention and perhaps... Reading into the context here, uh, a bit of apprehension there. Abraham is getting powerful, more powerful. Hmm. You know, wealthy men gain attention from people of the world. Wealthy men gain attention. It isn't their spiritual character that attracts people, but their success in the business world. That's what attracts people. The popularity of Donald Trump is that he's experiencing portrays the same kind of phenomena. He's not shy about discussing his wealth. In fact, he is ostentatious about displaying his wealth. When he went to Iowa Fairgrounds for a conference, he flew in on his own private helicopter. And it wasn't one of these little two-seater things. It was a full-size Mogungus double bladed helicopter. No, it wasn't government. It was his helicopter. Costing thousands of dollars, I'm sure. But the world would never say of Trump, Well, God is with you in everything you do. It wouldn't say that. It's only people with a Christian conscience who would assess Trump's wealth in that way. Realizing, as we do, the truth of Jesus' words. Love your enemies and do good to them and lend to them (coughs) without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind, God is kind, to the ungrateful and wicked. Oh, wow. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Luke 6 verse 35 and verse 36. Or again Moses addresses the person who sees his fortune as the result of being a self-made man. Mm -hmm. So Moses says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced the wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. That's Deuteronomy 8, verse 17. So what I'm saying is that Abimelech just used his powers of observation. And he concluded of Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Which was very true indeed. He could see it. So that resulted in a covenant of mutual, mutual respect and kindness that was made between him and Abraham. Abimelech said, Now swear to me here before God. That you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown to you. Verse 23. I heard Trump say, "I, I, I just want to be treated fairly by the Republican Party. Isn't that the basis of the golden rule? So in everything you do, says Jesus, in everything you do to others, do what you do as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Matthew 7, verse 12. Paul put it this way, as we have opportunity, writes Paul, let us do good to all people. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Galatians 6 verse 10. Peter put it this way. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? 1 Peter 3, verse 10 and following. Now these statements are all based upon the golden rule. Demonstrate how the principle of conduct works itself out in everyday life. Abimelech observed that Abraham was a man of influence and power. He had warrior servants in his own household. That was before the day of centralized government and troops and all that. You had to defend yourself, which Abraham did. Abraham was rich in gold and silver. His livestock consumed acres of foliage. And we shall see in the life of Isaac the son of Abraham that he too settled in the land of the Philistines and like his father he became extremely wealthy and powerful. So much so that Abimelech yeah the same Abimelech said to him move away from us you have become too powerful for us. Genesis 26 verse 16. The issue there was Over water rights. Same problem in our text. Experienced by Abram. Look at verse 25. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water. That Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abraham said. I don't know who has done this. You didn't tell me. And I heard about it only today. Genesis 21 verse 25. The Negev region of Palestine is arid, mostly desert, so water in many ways was more valuable than gold. What do you do when there is a dispute with a neighbor? There's a question. What do you do when you have a dispute with a neighbor? New stories in our day demonstrate that many people do not, they do not possess the moral equivalent to pagan Abimelech. If a a dispute arises with a neighbor over land use in our day, maybe it's noise pollution, maybe it's a barking dog, Mm, I have that going on in my neighborhood, or whatever, the disgruntled neighbor may take matters into his own hands and prefer to shoot you instead of working with you to resolve the issue. Say they wouldn't do that. Oh, let me tell you about a story. KUSI, a news channel in San Diego, reported in 2015, and I'm reading the news article, a Deleuze woman was behind bars on a suspicion of attempted murder for allegedly shooting a neighbor during a confrontation over their rural properties in the northern part of San Diego County. According to the sheriff's officials, the 63-year-old, that's the woman, was sitting in a chair on the contested right-of-way, blocking the way when a 65-year-old neighbor and his wife arrived in their vehicle and asked her to move. Following a brief exchange, the woman blocking the drive (laughs) allegedly reached into her waistband, pulled out a pistol, and shot the neighbor man. In the abdomen, despite his wound, the neighbor was able to wrest away the weapon from her and subdue the woman by hitting her on the head with the butt end of the gun, according to a sheriff's statement. His wife then drove him to a hospital. The woman blocking the drive was treated for a minor scalp injury before being booked into the Los Culinas women's jail in Santee. She was being held without bail until her arraignment. The protracted disagreement between these two neighbors was over right of way. An easement in their yards. later led to a civil case. A news show, 2020. I know you're familiar with that. Aired a report stating that in March of 2013, the battle over land between two warring neighbors was over removing a hedgerow. Hmm. Came to a deadly end. According to the prosecutor, the neighbor protesting the removal went outside that morning and shot was shot down by his next-door neighbor with a 44 magnum ruger pistol i don't know if you know anything about 44 magnums that is a serious weapon that's not a bb gun that'll take down a rhino The shooter said, well, he saw his neighbor coming towards him, yelling, swearing, holding what he thought was a gun. Well, (laughs) the gun turned out to be nothing more than a Blackberry cell phone. You know, they're pretty big, black. The shooter was arrested held on $5 million bail. And both families were left struggling to understand what just happened between two neighbors. I wish I could say that these types of incidents are very rare. But the opposite is true. They are more and more common As people are being pushed to, you need to assert your rights. Don't you put up with that. Go over that. I can just hear it. Yeah, assert your rights without due consideration of the morality or the consequences of their actions. Well, let me tell you, a real dispute between Abimelech and Abraham over water rights between these two men, one a pagan, the other a believer in God. It was a real dispute, but they chose to take the high road. They did. They did not sound the trumpet. They did not call out their warrior servants. There was no poisoning of the well by Abimelech's men, no killing of Abimelech's servants by Abraham, whose servant seized the well. Instead, they swore allegiance to show each other mutual, get it, verse 23, mutual kindness. Wow. But then secondly, Abraham went the extra mile to make amends. Wait a minute. Abraham's complaint to Abimelech was that some of Abimelech's servants had seized a well of water which his servants had dug. Verse 30. And the Hebrew word for seize here means take by force. It's used of armies which plunders cities. And have conquered others, individuals who have been robbed. Taking their purse away from them. The concept is that something is taken from a party to which the item belonged and then it's taken by force. So it surely showed restraint on Abraham's part by filing a complaint with Abimelech instead of taking matters into his own hands which he had the capability of doing. Remember how he could have With his own army servants, over 300 in his own household. To me, it was the honorable thing to do because it turned out Abimelech had no knowledge of this going on with his servants. His own words I just heard about it only today, verse 26. Well, why was the matter brought up today? It's because these two neighbors had entered into an agreement to deal fairly and kindly with one another. What happened next is remarkable. Look at verse 27 and following. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle... And gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock. And Abimelech asked Abraham, uh, uh, What's the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart by themselves? And he replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness... That I dug the well. Hmm. So that place was called Beersheba, which means Well of the Oath. And after the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phichal, the commander of his forces, we are told, returned to the land of the Philistines. Genesis 21, verse 27 and following. Boy, this is a head-scratcher. Why should Abraham pay Abimelech for a well that his own servants had dug? Hmm. Well, he didn't have to pay at all. But he chose to pay. Okay, Why pay anything if you are the party who has been wronged? This this is a real head-scratcher. Abraham said, accept these seven lambs as a witness. The Hebrew, as a testimony. And it's always used as a proof of a legal transaction that's witnessed by God himself. It was Abraham's way of calling God to witness what was settled between these two men. So that no further issue or dispute remained. It was similar to a court ruling And in this case, the highest court of the land, when you think about it. Did Abraham have to do this? I mean, let's ask it another way. Was he legally obligated? No. But he chose to go the extra mile, as we would say, to make amends and heal any hidden animosity. Well, what was the outcome of this truce? Well, King Abimelech and commander his commander, Phicol, returned to the land of the Philistines, scripture says. Hebrews 6, verse 16, the writer of Hebrews says, Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said, and it puts an end to all arguments. That's what happened. Say, wait a minute. Didn't we learn last week that Jesus taught his disciples not to swear at all? But instead, be men of such integrity that their yes always means yes and their no always means no. Yeah, we learned that. That's a general rule if people know you and your reputation. But let's remember some things here. Abraham was caught in a lie. He was. Before. Concerning Sarah. When Abimelech was deceived into thinking that Sarah was Abraham's sister. He came under the discipline of God. He was prevented his existing wives from having children. God closed their wombs. And when Abimelech acting on Abraham's lie, took Sarah with the full intention of making her his wife. Oh my, all kinds of bad things happened to Abimelech and his kingdom. So what I'm saying now is that Abraham faced a credibility problem. He did. He only had... His word that the well in question was dug by his own servants and had been taken away from him by force by Abimelech's servants. It could easily have remained something like he said, she said, stalemate. Who's Abimelech going to believe, his own servants or Abraham? Could have had horrendous outcomes tension, anger, tempers flaring. Drawn swords. Dead bodies. So oh, that wouldn't happen. That did happen in those days. Water rights was not just your livelihood. It was your survival. Can you imagine owning a thousand sheep or a thousand cattle or two thousand all total or whatever and you need water for all of them as well as pasture land? Well, Abraham knew he had to do something really um, really fast. And it had to be more than a simple handshake. So he swore an oath and he sealed it with a payment, knowing that in doing so, this in, his integrity would be restored. Hebrews 6, verse 16 explains it this way. The oath, the oath confirms what is said. And it puts an end to all argument. We have oaths in our day. As God is my witness. Ta da ta da. I pledge to you that I'm telling you the truth. Raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the truth? Oh the truth, so help you, God. I do. Please be seated. Oaths still function today. But Abraham did something else. Verse 33, he planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. That word means the well of the oath. And there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God, El Olam. Back in, the, in chapter 14, verse 19, the name, the name was El Yan, God Most High. That was at the blessing of Melchizedek. Chapter 17, verse 1, the name El Shaddai was given, God Almighty. And that was given to Abraham that God would fulfill his covenant promises to him. Now in our text, Abraham refers to the Lord as the eternal God. A reminder to God and Abraham as well that our words take on oath bindings Towards this person with whom we are making our pledge. And before the eternal God who keeps the records. You don't do this. Flippantly. Every time Abraham looked at that tamarisk tree. That he planted. Perhaps every time he viewed any tamarisk tree. He would be reminded of the ongoing ever-binding treaty he had made with King Abimelech and witnessed by the Eternal God. Well, the treaty between Abraham and Abimelech resulted in a truce that had peaceful results because verse 34 states, Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. That is, with no fear Or of danger. It settled the argument. The tension was dropped. And he lived there. Abraham lived there. For a long time. In what we might call enemy territory. But he lived there with no fear. Now what do we learn from this peace treaty? Well, number one, power and wealth are gifts of God even to people who do not acknowledge God. When Abimelech said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do, that conclusion was not based on some understanding by Abimelech that God and Abraham were in some kind of partnership. No. So he's not thinking, oh, well, yes, of course, God was with Abraham to bless him and see to it that in all his ways he prospered. No. We need to recognize that God's people, like all of humanity, live in a cursed world because of sin. We've seen sin in Abraham's own life. By his deceit and lying that he did, By laughing at God's promises. Along with Sarah. Which he did. And there have been consequences. Not the least of which. That his own integrity had been compromised. And so. To be believable again. He had to resort to taking an oath. Now no one likes to be called a liar. Or viewed as a deceiver. As a person that's. Untrustworthy. So he was in a pickle. So the question comes Does a person have to be a Christian who loves and obeys God before God will bless him or her with power and wealth? Think about this. God said to his people, Let me read it for you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, still reading scripture, the Lord your God, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Deuteronomy 8, verse 17 and five. And I think Hannah sets the tone in her song of joy in 1 Samuel chapter 2. She sings, the Lord brings death and he makes alive. He brings down to the grave, he raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy from the ash heap, he seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's and upon them he has set the world. First Samuel 2 verse 6 and following. In soliciting supplies to build the temple, you remember an appeal went out through the land. And we are told David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly saying... Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? He answers his own question. Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Wow. First Chronicles 29, verse 10 and following. Everyone should see this. We're only giving back to God what he's already given to us. Many factors behind a person's success both in power or in wealth, your place of birth, your race, your advantages, your opportunities, your mental aptitude, your governing skills, your good health, your personality. I mean, we could just go on. All these factor into the ability to rise to power to become wealthy. And all of these factors are the work of God, For which the credit should be granted. Without jealousy or greed. God is with you. Or we could say has been with you. In everything you do. That was an acknowledgement. Given by Abimelech to Abraham. That words against pride. That pride has been the downfall of many, many men. Secondly, we need to settle disputes among neighbors, even if at personal cost. I think this is amazing. Even though Abimelech had not known of the seizure of Abraham's well by his own servants, he knew now... Because Abraham told? But there was another problem. Abraham Abraham had a credibility problem over the deception he acted out concerning Sarah. How could Abraham assure Abimelech that the well water was his? I mean, his word on the matter likely... Would not hold much weight. So, what was Abraham to do? Well, he brought sheep and cattle to Abimelech, the number is not specified. Then he separated out of that quantity seven ewe lambs. Here's what he said. Accept these as a witness that I dug the well. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Abraham is paying Abimelech for a well he already owned and that his own servants had poured their labor into producing. Who does something like that? Answer, a person who, whose integrity is superior to one's legal rights. Later history would show that the Philistines acknowledged this well and others, by the way, to have been dug by Abraham's servants. But Abraham did not wait to be vindicated by the courts of men in future history. He settled the matter at his own expense, here, now, before the gossip mills could foment dissent. In the New Testament, Paul brought an accusation against the Christians at Corinth, church members, because guess what they were doing? They were taking their disputes with their neighbors to the courts to decide. Hmm. And he asked this question Paul, is it possible, Corinthians, is it possible that there's nobody among you wise enough? To judge a dispute between believers. Wow. That's a good question. He goes on. Instead, one brother goes to law against another. And this in front of unbelievers. The secular courts. He goes on. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not? I'm still reading scripture. Why not rather be cheated? Whoa. Well, there's a novel idea. Why not rather be cheated? Hey, it's my money. He owes me. He's going to pay. Paul goes on. Instead, you yourselves cheat, and you do wrong, and you do this. To your brother? Ooh. First Corinthians six, verse five, and following. Was it right that Abraham had to pay Abimelech for his own well? No. Wasn't right. Is there a sense in which Abraham? Was taken advantage of by Abimelech's servants. Oh, yeah. Wasn't Abraham in the right? And wouldn't any court of law in the land sustain his contention that he had dug the well? Yes. Yes, yes. But you know that would have taken weeks. It would have done nothing to smooth relationships with the Philistines. So Abraham chose to be cheated out of what was rightfully his. To keep the peace. To leave a good taste for God in Abimelech's mouth. You know... Sometimes, brethren, we win by losing. We win by losing. Well, I have my rights. Yes, you do. It's my obligation to get everything I deserve. Well, is it? We have to stop thinking like the world and start thinking like God's children. Then lastly, I would say that not all memorials are monuments to the achievements of men. Not all memorials are monuments to the achievements of men. What are you referring to? Well, do you know there is a war going on in our country right now over monuments? Yeah. Beginning with the missing in action POD flag to the Confederate flag, To the actual bronze and marble statues decorating the floor of the Capitol building in Washington. To the memorial crosses on hillsides and in cemeteries of our defeated soldiers. someone to erase every vestige of human history they deem as supportive to racism or federalism or imperialism or any other kind of ism, as though God himself were not the God of history. Well, he is the God of history. Yet publishers of textbooks are rewriting books on American history to agree with present-day discord with what happened in the past policies of government. Rather than sticking with history. The truth. And God's sovereignty, you can be sure, is never allowed to remain in the historical record. When Abraham planted the tamarisk tree... He chose a living memorial to El Olam, the eternal God. Who remembers everything and forgets nothing. Whoever lives to reward his people for righteous conduct and to judge the wicked for their denial of God in their lives. We must endeavor to remember God in the events of life. Even the unpleasant events. For the judgment to come is centered in this. The scripture says, In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thought, there's no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. He's haughty. And your laws, God, are far from him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, Nothing's going to shake me. I'll always be happy. I'll never have trouble. His mouth is full of curses and lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. <laughs> he covers his face. He never sees But you, O oh God, do see trouble and grief. The victim commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. The Lord is King forever and ever. The nations will praise. Excuse me. The nations will perish from this his land. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them. You listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, in order that man, who is of the earth, may terrify no more. Psalm one hundred four. Excuse me, Psalm 10, verse 4. So I say to us this morning that we are to remember that God is in all events. He is in all events. And you and I will face Him one day. And we're going to need the peace treaty to face Him. The peace treaty that Jesus made with His cross for us so that we can stand before God without fear but with full assurance that the love of Christ and his blood has covered us and reconciled us to God for all of our sins. Let's pray. Thank you Lord Jesus for the truth of your word. Thank you for the lessons we learned from Old Testament history from Abimelech from Abraham from Sarah from Lot we could go on and on because this is divine history there is a spiritual lesson in all these historical accounts and by your spirit you reveal the lessons to us and I pray touch our heart with the truth of them We need to be changed as a result of these histories. We look at these histories and we see that God's people did some bad things. They weren't always faithful. But who was faithful? You were faithful. You brought them through their trials. You forgave their sins. That's what you do with us. That's the purpose of Jesus and his cross. The blood spilt cleanses us. He takes our place. He steps in as a substitute. He comes under the wrath of God for sin. I pray that we'll see that. And if we haven't come to Christ, Lord, grant faith in our heart. If we can't believe, grant it to us. If we don't want to repent of our sin because we love it, grant us repentance. These are the gifts of God. Salvation is of the Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Someone have the closing hymn number? I didn't have it. Five two five. Okay, five two five. Internet. We stand with you when you find another five two five in the red. A child of the king, adopted into your family, covered by your grace. Pray for anyone here today that's outside of your family. They're churchgoers, they're here every Sunday, they're trusting something other than your shed blood and your grace and your goodness. Oh, Lord, come to them today and help them to see that to be a child of the king, they have to be adopted into God's family, and God is not adopting anyone who rejects his son. I pray, Lord, that you will show us that. Grant us the faith we don't believe, the repentance we don't want to do because we love our sin, Make us a child of the King, we pray, for your glory and our good. Amen. Amen. Tonight is our service at normal time, 6 o'clock.